Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast Beyond the Baseline. It is Olympics week. I am co-hosting the NBC coverage on Bravo. I'm in a uh, undisclosed location. That's a joke. Um, and I'll just sort of riff a little bit about this this crazy Olympics so far. We are recording this on Wednesday morning. Right now, it seems to be a bit of a rain delay situation. So we're in the round of eight, the equivalent of the quarterfinals for the women's draw. We are in the round of 16 for the men's. And the number one seeds are out. Both Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams have lost. Two seeds out, two, no, two top seeds out, but the circumstances were very different. In the case of Djokovic, he ran into Juan Martin Del Potro, who absolutely won that match. I mean, just a huge display of offensive tennis. 41 winners in straight sets, 7-6, 7-6. Del Poe, great to see him back. Obviously a, a fan favorite. Most of us know what he's been through since winning the U.S. Open. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that it's been seven years since his one major title, but this guy's still younger, and for that matter, has always been younger than Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and of course Roger Federer as well. So, in as much as he has reemerged, 27, going to be 28 uh, next month. That doesn't seem quite as old as it used to. And if Delpo's return is one of the themes of these Rio games, that's great. One thing I think is really interesting is the dynamic between. Brazil and Argentina animated through Del Potro, where on the one hand, it's great to see this South American player have such an impact at the South American Olympics. At the same time, there's obviously a rivalry between those two countries and clearly some ambivalence. I think I said on the air, it's like having an athlete from Columbus, Ohio, doing well at an event in Ann Arbor. Uh, Djokovic has now announced he's out of Cincinnati. No surprise there. We'll see what he has at the U.S. Open. You know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about the possibility of a Golden Slam or, at a minimum, a Grand Slam. Now, after losing early at Wimbledon to Sam Querrey, early at the Olympics to Del Potro, suddenly the year is very different for Djokovic. We saw him leave the court in tears. I think this U.S. Open suddenly becomes kind of a big tournament for a guy who, again, six weeks ago was far and away the number one player and could barely see the rest of the field in his rear view mirror. If I were going to have to pick a winner, I suppose it would be Andy Murray, who's the highest remaining seed at number two. He also, of course, was the defending gold medalists. We're saying reigning gold medalists. No single champion has ever backed up their gold. Uh, Andy Murray is trying to be the first. And, you know, for all the permutations of the big four, it's interesting to me that Nadal and Andy Murray have never met in a Grand Slam final. However, it is possible they'll meet for an Olympic gold. Nadal is the third seed. Murray is the second seed. Um, the women's draw is in chaos, which tends to sound redundant these days in tennis. Serena Williams was eliminated by Alina Svitolina on Tuesday night. Unlike Djokovic, I think this was much more a case of the favorite and the champion just not having their best stuff as opposed to the underdog playing the match of a, of a lifetime, taking nothing away from Spinalina, biggest win of her career. She's a player to watch. She's only 21. She'll be in the top 10 soon, no doubt, but really this was about Serena. And afterwards, she was very game and did not mention any physical problems. But if you just eyeballed that, just sort of passing the eyeball test, you saw she was far from her best. It looked like she was 
arming in serves and missing overheads, that would certainly suggest that the shoulder injury that kept her out of Montreal was acting up. I'm interested to see sort of in the short term whether she plays the open, gets better, and uh, wins, tries to win a 23rd major. I think big picture, we certainly, uh, you know, n- never count the Williams sisters out. We realize that they defy conventional wisdom in every turn, but she's turning 35 in September, of course. And at some point, uh, you know, we, we sort of need to think about putting a bow on this career. I, you know, n- nothing surprises me anymore. If Serena, someone asked me this, are we ever going to see her again? Look, if Serena Williams were to play in Tokyo, at age 38, it wouldn't surprise me if Serena Williams called a press conference over the weekend and says, it's been a nice career. It's time for, uh, time for me to think about what I'm going to do next. That wouldn't surprise me either. So we, we hope she sticks around. But uh, that match against Vitalina suggests that physically she's not, um, she's not anywhere close to 100%. And now, you know, with, with these upsets come big opportunity. There are only two top eight seeds left. There are only two Grand Slam champions, one of them Kerber, who is the number two seed, highest seed remaining, of course, and the other Petra Tfitova. This is a wide-open field. If a Madison Keys, for example, could come through, that would be a big story on the women's side. But you did feel a little like the, the air sort of went out of the women's draw a bit when Serena lost. That's obviously often the case at, at these big events. And she's out of the doubles as well. She and Venus lost to the Czech team of, Safarova and Streetsova in the first round. We're looking forward to mixed doubles. We're looking forward to seeing Rafael Nadal, who has not played a tournament since the French Open, put his wrist to the test, not just in singles, but in doubles and mixed. He's the only player, as we record this Wednesday morning, he's the only player remaining in all three draws. There's always drama. They're always awarding medals. Someone's going to win. There's going to be storylines. But the fact that number one seeds in the men's draw, Novak Djokovic. The women's draw, Serena Williams. Women's doubles, the Williams sisters. Men's doubles, Hughes and Abair, the French team. The fact that we're only Wednesday morning and already the top seeds in all four draws have been knocked out uh, makes this a particularly unusual Olympics. After that monologue, and I take a swig of water, our producer, Jamie Lasanti, should feel free to pepper me with any questions she may have. Hi, Jamie. Hello, good morning. Please do take some water. That was that was quite what's our runtime run on that? Uh we're we're close to ten, I think. Oh my god. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, this is what happens when uh you're you're cooped up in T V land. Anyway, uh how you doing? What can I tell you about Olympic tennis, Jamie Lasanti? Yeah, I mean you touched on a lot of different points, but First and foremost, obviously, I want to talk about Serena um, and maybe a little bit more about that shoulder. Um, you know, it kind of makes me think of, of Roger Federer and the knee injury, obviously, for him came out of nowhere, but we've, we've seen that it's sidelined him now for the rest of the season. And, you know, he's sort of kind of looking ahead to 2017 and really hoping that he can just get better and not take any risks this year. Do you think... Is that something Serena will do, or do you think that it's something that serious uh, that she can potentially say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to shut down my season now"? Or do you think that we'll see her again uh, in New York? Uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's be clear that all of this is speculative, and that Serena 
you saw her in a match grimacing and hold her shoulder, but she hasn't spoken about it. Um, so it, it's hard to say quite how serious this is, but shoulder injury is not an injury you can play through, not as long as you have to serve and, uh, and, and hit overhead. I, I think what we're going to see with Serena is she's going to continue to curtail her schedule. I think she's probably going to lose the number one ranking to Angie Kerber. My guess is that she still thinks she can win majors, and this is really, really more than ever going to become her focus. I, I can see a possibility where she will not enter events unless she's guaranteed a day off. So she'll still play the majors. Maybe she can sort of convince herself to play an event like Indian Wells in Miami, where it's not every other day is a rule, but there, there are ways to sort of manipulate the schedule. But I, I fear that the days of Serena sort of playing events like a Montreal or, or like a Rome might, might be a thing of the past. I think it's hard to walk away from a sport regardless of, of physical health, I, I think just it, it's hard to walk away when you're still playing at the level at which she's playing. You know, 24 hours ago, we'd say she was the overwhelming favorite. She's ranked number one. She just won the previous major. She didn't close in Australia or the French Open, but she went to the finals. So basically, she's, she's lost, uh, you know, her, her record in majors this year is 19-2. and two. I, I think it's hard, even at age 34, 35, to just say, you know what, I've had enough. I mean, she's still very much in the conversation, we'll wait to see how the shoulder injury is. If, if there is an injury, in fact, she did uh, never even enter Cincinnati. So if, if we do see her again next, it's going to be at the U.S. Open. Remember, too, Jamie, after she lost to Roberta Vinci at the 2015 U.S. Open and didn't complete the, the Grand Slam, as, as so many people had hoped, she didn't surface again until January. And... So even, even best-case scenario, even if full health, it's unclear how much tennis she would have left to play this year. John, I'm going to stop you right there because we're obviously talking about the Rio Olympics, which are in full swing, not just tennis, but we've got track and water polo and rugby. And SI has you covered online and on podcasts. Wherever you found this show, just do a search for Sports Illustrated at the Games. And when you subscribe, you'll get new episodes every single day. And for all of SI's coverage, just go to SI.com slash Olympics. And remember to subscribe to the podcast, Sports Illustrated, at the Games. I mean, this is just a, a remarkable story, though. I mean, I think sometimes we forget. Sevi Graf didn't win a major in her 30s. Serena had nine. So mm-hmm. the fact that she's, she's playing at all, much less winning majors and number one at, at age, you know, 34.9, which she is today, is, is just remarkable and I don't think that uh, she's going to leave necessarily anytime soon. I mean, I think, you know, we'd probably be naive if we overlooked money. It's very lucrative for Serena Williams to still continue playing tennis. I think it would be naive to overlook how much she simply likes competing and likes being out there on the other side of the net against an opponent trying to match up. But at the same time, again, a shoulder injury is, is nothing to, uh, to, to sort of take lightly. And I do think that this continuing paring down of the schedule is probably going to happen. So in, in other words, who knows? We're all just speculating. I think, I think it's fair to have this conversation, but I think we're all sort of waiting to hear from Serena what her next move is. And it's, it's still, like you said, quite remarkable that the idea of her playing in Tokyo is, is not, wouldn't be surprising, you know, it kind of just, 
like you said, goes to show how how amazing her career is and, you know, continues to be. Uh, but lots of upsets that, you know, on the women's side, like you mentioned, that sort of have deflated the women's draw. With that comes lots of big opportunities for a lot of different players. Um, so who do you think has the best chance to take advantage of the field minus Serena and minus Garbine and, you know, Kerber's the highest remaining seed. Um, Madison Keys has a really big chance for, for the U.S. So who do you see down down the stretch here coming through? Pressure is on you, Jamie Lasanti, to turn this around quickly so we don't look silly. Um, it, is, it is Wednesday morning, and uh, as we record this, all eight players remain in the women's draw, and all, all eight of them play today. So, um, you know, who, I, I hope this will not be uh, obsolete, but with that timestamp applied, I think Madison Keys has a, has a real chance here. She's played so well over the last three months or so, and I think she's, she's figuring out how to win matches. She's figuring out how to overcome some of the sort of the, the nicks and pains that occurred during a match. She's won back-to-back three setters, which for her is a, is a big deal. This is a player who her body has given her trouble in the past. So the fact that she's played, you know, six sets in consecutive days is big. I also think Petra Kvitova is due. I mean, just, just when you're ready to, to write her off, she wins big. And just as you're ready to say, this is a, a star who's going to have a hall of fame career. She disappoints. She's had a very meh sort of 50, 50 last 12 months, which for her means she's just about due for a breakthrough. We haven't talked about her much, but, she has won more majors than any player left in the draw right now. Um, Monica Puig has been a, a very nice story and uh, has, has a winnable quarterfinal match against Siegmund. And again, if, if Kerber emerges from this with a gold, we suddenly look at her and say, this is our player of the year in women's tennis. So a lot of, a uh, lot of intrigue and a lot of drama left, but you just, you, you just have this feeling that uh, with Serena Williams, exit um we're sort of waiting to see which which player steps up and serena and venus are also out of doubles um and not fans and bandway are also out um what do you see uh for doubles both on the men's and women's side or do you are any particular team that you're looking forward to or maybe give a shot now that some of the uh higher ranked seeds are out um that's that's a good question. I mean, again, this is a big opportunity for some of these, for some of these other players with the Williams sisters out. Um, I, I think one, one thing that I look for is Venus Williams is still in the mix. She's playing with Rajiv Ram. If somehow she could come up with a medal, she would ironically enough overtake Serena in, in the medal count. I like the U S team of, uh, of Jack Sock and Steve Johnson the number one men's doubles team, the number one seed of Nicholas Mahout and Pierre Hebert were eliminated. The Bryans aren't playing. Rafael Nadal still left in the doubles is intriguing. Uh, again, it, it's um, just these are wide open draws. And, you know, if, if Serena Williams or Novak Djokovic had won, it would be a great career achievement. Nadal's won a golden singles. Andy Murray's won a golden singles. Federer won a golden doubles. I mean, it would be nice if, if Novak Djokovic had a gold of his own, but the flip side to all of this is that there will in all likelihood be some players who completely reshape and redefine their careers here. I mean, Nicholas Massou is a name that's been in heavy rotation, a Chilean player who had a very sort of 
marginal career, but had this one magic week where he won double medals at the at the Athens Games, including a golden singles. And I, I wonder if we aren't headed toward that. And especially in the doubles draw, this could be really a, a towering sort of achievement of a lifetime if, uh, if, if one of these lesser-known teams broke through. As all of the Olympic Games are going on in Rio, uh, the NFL teams around the country are getting ready for another season. A bad paint job may have kept the NFL's Hall of Fame game from kicking off, but the MMTV van does not have that problem. Peter King and his crew are crossing the country visiting all the camps before the season kicks off. And you can hear the MMQB or our other football podcast, Audibles, by searching for them on your podcast app of choice. To hear the entire network, visit si.com slash podcast. It's really interesting, Jamie, how um, players take in this Olympic experience. And I think a lot of cases it depends where you come from. We obviously had a number of players decide they weren't up for the Olympics this year. And, you know, different people make different choices. And I, I think you begrudge them this opportunity at, at your peril. I mean, I, you know, players, tennis players do a lot of traveling. Some of them have been to the Olympics before. Some of them have families. Everybody's got to make their own choices. But you see a player like Monica Puig. I don't know if you're following her on social media or you saw she beat yeah, it's, it's a great follow, and you get the feel. I mean, p- players do not have this kind of reaction to winning third-round matches at regular tour events or even at majors. Um, and some players have really taken to this. It's, um, it's interesting to see yeah. the responses from the winners and the losers, and I think, you know, it, it tends to sort of follow, and I don't think it's directly correlated, but players from smaller countries, you know, not a huge delegation from Puerto Rico here, Monica Puig really feels as though she's a, you know, a prominent athlete representing her country here. And maybe the way that athletes from countries where the delegation is in the hundreds don't, don't feel similarly. So this, this has a very special vibe to, um, to various players. Again, we have a range. Some players didn't want to make the trip to Rio. Other players, you get the feeling this means more to them than any other event they're going to play this year. Yeah. I was going to ask you about, we, you know, just you kind of saw on social media that she basically embodies the Olympic experience in a way. Um, you know, she's just very grateful. And like you said, her reaction um, beating Garbini Muguruza was just like she had won, you know, a, a slam title or something. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I know you're not there um, in Rio, but what what have you kind of gathered um from the, the atmosphere and how the, the players have sort of accepted this Olympic Games, do, do you feel as though players have been enjoying the experience and really taking to it? Yeah, I, I feel like players, um, especially the ones who haven't had this experience before, have really taken to it. I also feel as though what you realize is just a completely different experience than other tournaments, that the sort of demands on their time are different. The overlay of team and individual are different. Most of the tennis players marched in, in the opening ceremonies. I mean, some of these are just sort of the, the obvious Olympic experience, but I also think that everything from posing with other athletes for selfies to staying at the village, going to other events, I just, you know, you listen to um, Jack Socket had talked about this on our air you see it in, in social media, left, right, and center. I, I just think it's a completely different 
set of circumstances, different set of pressures, different team dynamics, the scheduling, the rhythms, just in so many ways, this is a completely different set of circumstances than next week in Cincinnati or even, even in a major. Um, and a- again, I think it really varies athlete by athlete and country by country. I think one reason that Novak Djokovic was so absolutely distraught, I don't know if you saw that, um, but he was, I mean, he literally was crying while he was still on the court after a defeat. Mm-hmm. That's not something you see at uh, the, the Shanghai Rolex Masters or uh, Paris Indoors. And I think one reason is that he is a Serbian athlete. He's playing for his country. Serbia, I think, had only won one gold medal prior to, uh, prior to these games. And the, the pressures are different. The expectations are different. Even sort of the way the day is structured and players are trying to get mm-hmm. out to watch other other events. I mean, Serena must have posed. I just saw this on my feed. I mean, Serena must have posed literally for thousands of other athletes. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, uh, you know, that's that's not something she has to endure when she plays in Indian Wells, for example. So it, it's just, I, I think it's really um, something the players have, have taken to. And again, those players who chose not to go have their reasons, God bless them. But I think if you talk to the players there, I don't know too many players besides Benoit Pair who have said, eh, didn't, didn't really live up to the hype. I think a lot of players, what I hear much more often is, boy, this is just a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Awesome. We are going to start play uh, on this Wednesday soon, so we'll let you go back to your TV duties. Uh, but thanks for taking some time to talk about this, and we're looking forward to these next few days. You got it. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jamie. That's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast Olympic version. Thanks, as always, to our delightful and capable producer, Jamie Lasanti. I am walking back to a studio where I'm being summoned, so uh, that's why I'm half out of breath. And you sense my haste. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll wrap up the Olympics next week. Have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the game. <laughs>